0: Well, it's great to be here today. Um, I called Jimmy Dodd yesterday. Anybody know Jimmy Dodd in here? President of Pastor Serve. He spoke here last year. He's got a great ministry just to serve pastors. And he spoke last year. I said, Jimmy, give me some tips. I want to know about these guys. Do you like them? You know, are they nice? That kind of thing. And he said, I love them so much that you tell them that I pulled for the Houston Rockets and I had no reason to. So, you had such an impact on Jimmy that he was actually pulling for your rockets. It didn't do you any good, but he still pulled for them. And uh, so, know that you have a fan in Jimmy Dodd, and that's a great fan to have beside you. He is a great man, and Pastor serves a great organization in Kansas City. Uh, my name is Patrick Johnson. I'm going to go back to 2002 to start my story. Uh, I was a money manager at the time, I was a believer for about 11 years. God really reignited my walk with him 11 years earlier. And uh, I was really struggling. I was trying to reconcile my walk with Jesus and my possessions. And I was really struggling with that. And I noticed in my journal writings and in my reading of of the New Testament and Scripture, there's a struggle that's there, if we're honest with ourselves. We live in the most affluent country during the most affluent time of world history. I know it doesn't feel like that often at times, but the reality is is if you look at the wealth we have in the United States alone— We're at the pinnacle of all of human history. And so when you take a look at what Jesus said about this topic, and you take the cultural context that we're trying to grow people into following Jesus, we should be struggling with this topic. And so in 2002, I was struggling with that, and I came to a realization. And it was simply this, that transformation happened at the intersection of the gospel and generosity. Generosity. That really, when you go past all the things we typically think about generosity, which is management and techniques and those kind of things, if you get down to the root of it, what happened in my life and what I've seen happen in countless lives in churches is that transformation happens when you get to this intersection of the gospel and generosity. What do I mean by that? Because first of all, think about God's generosity to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The vertical component of this generosity is God's generous nature in our salvation. We have the righteousness of God that has been laid upon us, and we didn't do a finger to deserve it. And that comes from God's generosity. But there's also a horizontal nature. To this generosity in the gospel. And that is, we get to be stewards and carriers of God's generosity to a broken world to heal the world. God intended for no child to ever be hungry or not educated, He never intended for a woman to be sold into sex trafficking. And what we get to do by God's grace and because of his gospel is when we live these generous lives, because we have been given generosity, we get to go out and heal the world with our giving. God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven through God working through us, through our churches and through our generosity. And so what I saw was in my vertical relationship with God, because of his generosity, there was flourishing. I went out of the kingdom of darkness and went to the kingdom of light. And then in the horizontal nature, because of God's generosity, we get to be carriers of that generosity to a broken and healing world, and broken and hurting world. I was listening to Tim Keller on a way to an appointment yesterday, as a matter of fact. And he said that the early church, when secular historians wrote about the early church, and we're trying to figure out why the early church spread so quickly through the Roman Empire, they said four things. Number one, there was no racism in the early church. That the early church brought together male, female, slave, and free. In In a Roman culture where position was everything, the early church broke down the walls of position and said, let's come together as followers of Jesus. And there was no racism in the early church. The second thing Keller said was there was a sanctity of human life. In the Roman world, if you had a baby and you didn't want it, you threw it into the river and no one threw you in prison. It was a death culture, and here comes these followers of Jesus who brought together and said, no, no, life is important, and we're going to sacrifice our own lives to make sure that others flourish in their life, and so the sanctity of life. The third thing about the early church that secular historians wrote about is they were sexually pure. In a a Roman culture where you had temples where you would go and actually be with prostitutes to worship gods, here was this early church that said, no, we're going to be committed to one another in sexual purity. And the fourth reason the church turned the Roman Empire upside down was they were known for radical generosity. The early church didn't have a lot. They weren't the powerful, they weren't the prestigious, but yet they were a group of community of believers who turned the Roman Empire upside down because they were radically generous. But here's what I want us to consider today. I think we've confused biblical generosity with fundraising in our churches. And why do I say that? Because I've been working with churches since 2003, and the language that I hear in churches is a very narrow view when it comes to this topic of biblical generosity. If I were to go into your church and ask people, I say I'm from generous church, what do you think I do? First thing they'll say is money. Then they'll say budgets. And tithing and campaigns. When I come into your churches, that's what we've sort of taught our people to think about when it comes to stewardship or biblical generosity. And I believe because of that very narrow view, one of the things I see in churches all across the country is we have the twenty eighty rule, which is just rampant. 20% of the people carry 80% of the weight in most churches. And I'm not just talking about financial giving. I'm talking about volunteering. I'm talking about the actual work of the church. Normally, 20% of people carry 80% of the load. Can I get a testimony on that? And I think one of the reasons is because we've taken this idea of biblical generosity, which God gave to us to turn the world upside down, and we have confused it with fundraising. And something's got to change. Because I can tell you the next generation thinks a lot differently than we do when it comes to this topic. Varna and Thriven just did a study on the generations and generosity, and that's one of the things they found was that when the next generation thinks of this idea of generosity, their view is totally different than the older generations. And so something's got to change. So what I want us to talk about this morning is what I call generosity resets. We need to move from fundraising to disciple-making in our local church when it comes to biblical generosity. And I'm going to cover a few resets with you this morning that I think are important if you want to move from that fundraising mentality to that disciple-making mentality, that early Acts 2 and Acts 4 mentality that we had. And I'm going to tell you about these resets this morning. First reset is this, reset number one. We need to move from programming ministry to shaping culture. So in 2002, I was managing money. In 2003, I got a call from a foundation out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and they said, we want to see a revolution of generosity in the local church, and we want you to come and develop that strategy. So I said, how hard could that be? So I quit my job, and I went to work, and the great thing was I was safe. I was privately funded. I had nothing to sell, and I had no idea what I was doing. So what I did was I just started networking with churches, and I found myself about six months into my job sitting down with Andy Stanley and others around a conference room at North Point, and I was facilitating the meeting, and I started the meeting by reading the pitiful stewardship statistics in the church. The average Christian gives 3%. We all know them, right? And Andy stopped me. I was reading that, and he said something that really impacted me. He said, the problem's not a stewardship problem. The problem's a leadership problem. We don't know how to lead people into the joy of stewardship and biblical generosity. And I thought, you know what? That's really true. It really is not about programming ministry or finding the right thing to do. It really is about how do you shape culture and lead people into this joy of generous living in a culture that is totally opposite that, that we live in. And I met Jimmy Seibert in 2004. Jimmy's the pastor of Antioch Community Church. Anybody know Jimmy in here? He's a wild man, and he really blew my categories when it comes to generosity. He started a church 35 years ago in Waco, Texas with about six other people, and they had a commitment to do four things. They were going to evangelize the lost. They were always going to be discipling people. They were going to invest in their families, and the fourth thing they were going to do is they were going to live simply and give generously. And from six people sitting around a living room, they committed to do that. And as they added and as they grew the church, they never lost those four commitments. And today, they probably have two to 3,000 people in their church. They've planted missionaries and churches all over the globe. But if you step into that culture, they don't teach generosity great. They live generosity great. And people catch it in that culture. They don't teach it. They catch it. And so what you have an opportunity to do, and what I love about church plants and smaller churches or new churches is you don't have the infrastructure that the larger churches have to battle against to get this into your culture. You have an opportunity while you're young and fresh to really infuse this into your culture so that as you grow, it becomes a natural part of who your church is. Amen? And sometimes it seems like when we're new and we don't have a lot, how are we going to lead people into generosity? Well, that's where we need to lead people into generosity. And we'll talk about how to do that as we go. So that's the first reset. We need to move from programming ministry to shaping culture. The second reset I want to call, well, let me say one other thing about that too, is this is really key, is generosity moves inside out. So as you think about how to build a culture of this kind of biblical generosity we're talking about, it starts in the center of that bullseye. It moves inside out. So your core, it was the six people in Jimmy's living room, but as they grew, they had to go out to the committed, they had to go out to the congregation, and eventually that spilled over into the world. So there is no silver bullet for this. It starts with you and it starts with me as leaders. But if you work it and you shape your culture around this, you will find that it will overflow out into the community around you. So it moves inside out. So that's our first reset. Don't think about programming ministry. Think about shaping culture. And as you're new and you're young, think about doing this now. Second reset is this. We need to move from acts of giving to a way of living. We need to move our view of generosity from acts of giving to a way of living. What do I mean by that? Most of us think, when we think about generosity, we think about it's linear. It's like a line. And on that line, you have different acts. Okay, I did a generous act, and then I lived my life, and I did my generous act. Sometimes in our churches, if we just talk about tithing, I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard, if everybody in my church were to tithe, and that's the goal. That's not the goal. It's just not. It's never been the goal. And so we've got to move this conversation from acts of giving to a way of living. It's circular. It doesn't become something we do. It becomes who we are. It's a way of being. It's not linear. It's circular. And we have to move that view and that conversation from that line to that circle. And what we call it is whole life generosity. So in your congregation, you've got different currencies of generosity. Think about this for a second. So you do have people in your congregation. They have the financial generosity currency. They've been blessed with the the ability to make money. They love to give money away. That's financial currency. But then you've got hospitality currency. There are people who love to welcome people into their presence and their homes. Then you've got those who have compassion. They see a need and their heart goes out. And so their compassion currency and all of their encouragement. So if you think about generosity more than an act, just a financial giving act to a way of living, then everybody in your church has different currencies that they can pour into your congregation to bless the world. And what's great about this is the wealthy aren't elevated, if you think about it, whole life. You know, if I have the currency of hospitality, that's just as good as financial giving or compassion. We tend to elevate the big givers, but the reality is in Scripture and the biblical references that we see, the people that gave the most were the poorest. And the people that gave not necessarily didn't give financially. They gave in all different kinds of ways. Look at Jesus' life. If you think about how Jesus lived his ministry, it was this whole life generosity. He was compassionate. He welcomed sinners. There was this hospitality. We don't shy away from money. I'm not saying take it off the table, but I'm saying expand your view of what it is. Because in your church, you have so much potential if you think about it as a circle and not a line. Does that make sense? So how we define it is whole life generosity is an overflowing life released to God for others. Imagine a congregation where we had 80% of our people that were living overflowing lives that were released to God to bless others. Imagine that 80% of our congregation, the first thing they did when they stood up in the morning and their feet hit the floor, what if they asked the question, how can I be a generous blessing to those around me today? What would a church look like like that? We know what a church would look like. That's the Acts 2 and Acts 4 church that we saw earlier. So I'm uh, I'm going to say something that Andy told me back in 2003, the first conference I ever did, and you might have even heard this. This is a really key point as leaders. When it comes to generosity, it's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. It's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. Every other life but the generous life is a counterfeit life. Every other life but following Jesus generously is a counterfeit life. And so when you talk and lead people into this whole life generosity, you can be confident that it's what God wants for them, not what he wants from them. And why do we know that? Because he tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, many of you know this verse, but he says when we're generous and willing to share, we will take hold at the very end the life that is truly life. Think about the most generous people you've ever known. Don't they have a quality of life that you aspire to be? Think about when you read the obituaries. Don't you always hear he was a generous man, she was a generous woman? It's like this aspiration of what we want to be because God has hardwired us to be this way. He's hardwired us. So I want to watch a quick video. I love stories to demonstrate this. So I'm going to show a quick video of Tom and Bree. So watch this story. Think about whole life generosity, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So at our table, we talked about sacrifice, sort of laying down your life. We talked about servanthood and just being servants in the place where you are. But what I love about Tom and Bree is that you could tell it was a lifestyle for them. It wasn't just about an act of giving. When he invested in his stock options, he could have just given money away and said, I did my job. But you saw the currencies of generosity, the hospitality, the compassion, the presence, the financial. It was all wrapped up into that. And I heard them speak about this is about eight-year-old video. They spoke in Colorado Springs Springs a week, a couple of months ago, and I heard them speak. And what the great thing was how the journey continues for them and how their community around them is flourishing now because they're living generosity as a way of living and not just a simple act of giving. So that was our second reset. Let's move on. Third reset is this, and I'm really gonna cover two resets here: is number three and number four. We need to think about our view of God and we need to think about our view of ourselves, okay? So what I, the way I say it is we need to think about God for, as, from owner to provider and ourselves from steward to sower, okay? Now hear me on this for a second. In our work with churches, I've been working with churches since 2003 and in our work, what we find is one of the biggest obstacles to generosity in churches is fear, People are afraid. And I don't care if you have a lot or a little. It actually might even get worse as you get more because you have more to lose in your eyes. But I see it rampant. When we do surveys in congregations, when I facilitate conversations, when I show that video, the first thing that comes up in most people is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to do that. In other words, what I think in churches is we have a narrative of scarcity in our churches today. Despite the fact that we have all the abundance around us, we live under a narrative of scarcity, which is stoked by advertising and culture that we live in. But the reality is that seeps into our thinking. And so when you're leading people into a culture of generosity, you're going to have to come up against that fear. And I think the way to overcome that fear is how we view God. And we've got to move from owner to to provider. So think about how Jesus talked for a second. When Jesus burst on the scene, he talked about God being what? Father. And he's our provider father. Our father who art in heaven, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Or, you know what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? guess what happens? Your father, provider, will give you everything you need. Or don't be afraid, little flock. Your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Therefore, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. In other words, when Jesus came on the scene, he knew who God was. And the way that he described God was he's a provider and he's a father. And so when we come across fear in our congregation, in our own lives, we've got to go back to the fact that our God is our father provider. And if you have children, how do you provide for your children? Do you provide for them begrudgingly, stingily? And we're fallen and we're limited. But we have a father who is omnipotent and he's promised to be our father provider. And when we begin to embrace that, then what we can say is fear has no place in our lives. And so if that's true of God, then what's our role Then we have faith. We move from fear to faith. And instead of being just stewards, yes, we're stewards, but we're also sons and daughters who are sowers. We are beloved. We have been lavished. We have, uh, God has made all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we can abound in every good work. We will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. So we are not just stewards. Yes, we're stewards, but we're so much more. We're beloved sons and daughters who get to model the lavish generosity of God to the world around us. That's what Tom and Bree did. That's what we see in that story. And what happens is we can move from a narrative of scarcity when we begin to grasp God as provider and we're sowers, we can move from that narrative of scarcity to a narrative of abundance. God will never, ever not have enough to supply your needs. He's promised to meet all of your needs through Jesus Christ. So if you think about steward, owner-steward, that is one metaphor when we think about God, but also think about provider-sower. That's another way that we can look at who God is and who we are. So I want to go to reset number five. And this is God, we got to move people from knowing to following. What I find a lot, especially in our suburban evangelical churches, is we know the right answers. If I go to any of your people and say, does God own it all? They'll say, yes, God owns it all. But yet, how does that impact your life? And what are you doing about that? So we have to move people from just knowledge to following. Oftentimes, I instruct preachers, you know what? They know the right stuff, but something's happening and they're not converting that knowledge to action. Maybe it's fear. Maybe that's that narrow view that we talked about. Maybe there's a lack of vision in their lives. So we have to think about how do we move people from just knowing to following. I was working with one church and I want to put up a slide of what this church looks like when it comes to this idea of knowledge versus action this church is a great church, great pastor, great preacher, great budget, great programs. And we did a survey of their entire congregation. They took it during the worship service. And what we found was this, on the the, uh, vertical axis, that's their knowledge, that's their perspective. The horizontal axis is their action, it's their perspective. And as you can see, only 9% of those people in that congregation, which was a great Bible teaching congregation, which had great programs, only 9% Ranked up and to the right. They had the high perspective on generosity. And they were converting that perspective to action. The other 90% of people were living somewhere in some other quadrant. As self-reported. That's a younger church. I think the average age on that church was 35. Tomorrow I go to South Florida. I do the same presentation with an older church. And they had about 20% of the people up in the good soil. So I think there's a remnant of our older people who have the right knowledge and maybe are converting it to action. But a lot of our people, they may have the right knowledge, but they're not converting it to action. Or in some cases, with younger perspective, they don't have the right knowledge. So they need knowledge and action. But the reality is we've got to to move beyond just thinking we're going to preach people into this way of living. I love preaching. I love the Word of God, and that's important. But we've got to think about how do we move people beyond just the knowledge to the following. I want to show you a quick story, it's five minutes long, of moving from just that knowledge to that following, and then we'll come back and close. All righty. Come on back to me. So we've been talking about generosity resets. How do we move the conversation from fundraising to disciple making? And we saw in Reset 1, we need to move from programming ministry to shaping culture. And my encouragement to you is while you're young and you're new, shape your culture now. And watch the dividends it'll pay. The second Reset was we need to move from acts of giving to a way of living. That you have currencies of generosity in your church. And God's called each of us to leverage our currencies for His kingdom. And we can elevate everyone's currency. None is better than the other. They're just different. And a church is a great community where those currencies can really thrive and flourish. The third thing we looked at, and the fourth thing, is we need to see God as provider, as father provider. And we need to see ourselves as beloved sons and daughters and sowers who gets to take his lavish provision and change and heal the world around us with that. We talked about overcoming fear with faith. The biggest obstacle probably to a lot of generous living in your congregation is people are afraid. And when we see God as a father provider, the fear moves to faith. And then we just talked about our fifth reset from knowing to following. That it's not enough just to have the head knowledge, but how do we convert that into following and acting? And that's what we saw in Joy. She wanted to sit at home and read a book. But the needs of others pulled her out of herself and put her into that community. I've got one more, and I'll close with this. Reset number six. We need to move our churches from an internal to an outward focus. And I would say it goes back to culture. What are you creating? Are you creating a culture of takers? Or are you creating a culture of givers? And this is a convicting slide for us. Slide 20. Every dollar given to Protestant church, two cents goes to missions. Overseas missions. The average of every dollar given to a Protestant church, the average amount that goes to overseas mission is two cents, says Gene Veith. And when I looked at that number, I was looking up on the plane on the way over here, and I said, if we're giving away 2% to overseas missions, what does the average person in your congregation give? Probably 2 to 3%. And I'm thinking, is there a correlation between what we're doing as communities of faith and what our people are practicing individually when it comes to this idea of financial generosity? And one of the things I've noticed over my 14-year journey working with churches is those churches that grow to be larger churches, they have a culture of external giving baked into their church. That when you see churches that, like this church that's grown and made it, there's a certain element I always see a lot of times that what you see in those churches is they give outside of themselves. And I think just like in your individual lives, many of you are sacrificing to do what you're doing. Amen? But God's kingdom economics don't make sense from the world. And so when we give, we get. When we sow, we reap. And it's just like individuals in your congregation, when you lead them into this because this is what God wants for them and not from them, the numbers might not make sense, the time might not make sense, but yet God works in a uniquely different way. And he does it in the lives of individuals and he does it in the life of churches. So my exhortation to you is, if you're a new church, bake it into your church. Think about how, what's God calling us to do financially outside of ourselves, even from day one. And what would that look like? Because let me tell you, when you do that, givers, they see a bigger vision. And this is one of the travesties. My friend Jimmy Cyber from Antioch Community Church, he said, I wonder if 30 to 50 years from now, Historians won't look back on us and say that this church had so much potential and they wasted it. They wasted it. May it never be. So those who have give, been given much, much will be required. And may it never be that we wasted the opportunity. We are rich in faith. We're rich in knowledge. We're rich in, we're rich in speech. We're a lot like the Corinthian church in a lot of ways. Let us also be rich in whole life generosity. Let's don't waste our opportunity. So what do you do with this? Got a couple of things I want to encourage you in leaving here. First thing you do is you fix your eyes on him. What you need to know, what I need to know, and what we need to feel is how generous our God is. That's the place we start. We come back to the way I started this, the gospel. You know what? God the Father, he is our provider. God the Son, he is our pattern. He's the model, the motivator of this whole life generosity. And God the Spirit, he's the power to do this. And so when you start to talk and lead people into this, my encouragement would be to you to lead them to Jesus and the Father and the Trinity first. And let me say this too. I know many of you are startups, and this is a scary time. But let me tell you this. God is your provider. God is your provider. And he's not only your provider, he's a lavish father provider. So seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And your lavish father provider will provide for you. So we start by looking at the generosity of God. The second thing I want to encourage you is to live into your own generosity story. So here's my question. Has there been a generosity prompting you need to act on? You know, a lot of our generosity is scheduled, right? We know we give it. But sometimes God puts something on our heart that's a prompting. And if you're like me, I don't always follow those prompts as soon as I get them. They often have to stew and bake there. And sometimes I lose that prompt, and I, and I don't know if it's my fear or it's my disobedience, and I lose a God adventure. But when I've followed those prompts, and I've walked into what God's calling me to do, I've got amazing stories that I will never forget. So my question to you is individually, is there a prompt that God maybe has put in your heart and in your mind that you've wrestled with? My prayer for you is that you would see your father provider. You would see Jesus as your pattern. You would see the spirit as your power and say, am I called to follow through? I just got a text while I was sitting at my table from a prompt that I had reached out to. It's a way of living. It's a way of living. So that's what I would encourage you individually. And then I would encourage you finally to live into your generosity story as a church. And I've got two opportunities for you to do that. Number one, on my website, there's a book called Generosity Reset. It's an e-book. You can go and download it. It's generouschurch.com. And in that e-book, we have nine resets that we cover similar to this. And then we also have six training videos that we'll send to you that I taped that go deeper on these resets as well. So, I would encourage you to sit down with your core group of leaders and maybe just download that ebook and go through it with them as you start, as you build your church, and say, How does this inform what God's calling us to do? It's free. Second thing I'm praying about here in Houston is to join our six week Houston Generosity Masterclass. So I've done a lot of one-on-one work in a lot of churches in this room. I've worked with you one-on-one. And the question that I had was, how can we take all of this experience we've learned over the last 14 to 15 years and put that into an environment where smaller churches could enter into that and talk about how to reframe biblical generosity, talk about how to infuse it into your culture? And we launched it in Tyler, Texas. We did it in Kansas City. I'm about to head to South Florida to launch there. I would love to get a group of churches together that are interested in going through six weeks, a cohort, to take what we talked about in these resets and say, how do we bake it into our church year-round so that it becomes who we are? And it's in a master class format. So it's video, online, it's discussion. It's a small group of people who are really committed to going for this. And so I'd love for you to pray about that and see if you want to join with us for these six weeks to learn how to take this and build this into your culture. I've got a plane to catch, but I'll stay around afterwards. If you're interested, come back and talk to me. I'm sure Chad can get more information as we sort of think through that. But I'd love to help you in a community. One other thing is it'll be co-led by a church pastor. So we'll take a church that's farther along in this generosity journey who's walked this out with us, and I'll co-lead it with him or her because they are on the ground practicing it. And they can give you. So it's very community. And we're going to really press into what we've been talking about in that master class. So I'd encourage you to pray and think, is God leading us to do something special in this area? So I love Randy Alcorn. He says, stare at Jesus long enough and you'll become a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my kids and my family. That's what I want for my churches. Is I want us to become more like Jesus. I want us to capture the Acts 2 and Acts 4 energy. Where we're radically generous with all of life. Because I know if we do that, we move beyond the counterfeit life that culture tells us we need to live. And we find the life that is truly life. Join me in this story. Let's turn the world upside down by the Spirit for God's glory. Amen? Let's pray.